I think if more coaches took an approach to their work where they understood the deep impact that they could have in people's lives, it would really change the world. I don't say that lightly, like I literally mean it. If we could train more coaches, traditional coaches, and then also co people who are like in coaching roles. So, you know, maybe like social workers or teachers or people like mentors, people who are in those kind of roles, if they took a coaching approach, to their work with other humans, you know, people, CEOs, people who lead other people. If we do our work in a way that's really centered on equity, it's really life-changing. Welcome to CEO School. We're your hosts, Sunira Madani and Shannon Monson, and we believe you deserve to have it all. Less than 2% of female founders ever break 1 million in revenue, and we're on a mission to change that. Each week, you'll learn from incredible mentors who've made it to the 2% Club, as well as women well on their way, sharing how they've defied the odds so you can do it too. You're a real business now, and class is officially in session. This episode is sponsored by The Club, a quarterly box and digital monthly community to help you level up in leadership and life. Learn more today at join.theceoschool.co slash the club. Welcome to the CEO School Podcast. I'm so excited to introduce you to today's guest, Trudy LeBron. Trudy is a diversity, equity, and inclusion coach and business and leadership strategist who teaches individuals and institutions how to build successful anti-racist businesses. In the past seven years, she's grown her company's script flip into a multiple six-figure machine for helping others maximize their social impact. And I absolutely love on the front page of Judy's website, it says, stop choosing between doing good and doing business. So tell us about how you got into this space and kind of the struggle between as entrepreneurs, how we can make money and support ourselves and also make an impact on the world. Yeah, the, the biggest thing for me that really got me into this inquiry around how can we do both, right? How can we make good livings and have responsible, socially responsible businesses is because I came up professionally in the nonprofit industry and the nonprofit industry is rife with like negative money stories <laughs> and like a whole lot of good, right? The not, the work that I was doing in the nonprofit world was really around um, helping inner city communities, the communities that I grew up in, like the literal community I grew up in, um, you know, helping people who live there have better access to like basic needs, housing, food, education, um, healthy, positive youth development. And that work was like amazing work. I worked in schools for a long time and I was severely underpaid constantly. And yeah. so were, you know, so were my colleagues and, and team members and staff that, you know, uh, I got to the point in my career where I was supervising staff members and it just was not, um, it wasn't equitable. It wasn't the compensation that we were getting for the work that we were putting in and the emotional and physical toll it was taking on us was not working. And so I constantly had to have a side hustle because, you know, I had been a teen mom. I needed to make money. <laughs> you know, I had like real people, like adult bills that I needed to be paying. Yeah. And so I was always side hustling and I had to learn like how to be making money on, on the side just so that I can make ends meet. Um, and so that kind of introduced me to the world of entrepreneurship. And I started listening to podcasts and 
online courses and things like that. And I started to see like, oh, you can make money. Like there's, there's ways to really make money. But what I was seeing also in that world was that, that the world of coaching, of personal development, online entrepreneurship was missing some of the qualities of the nonprofit industry that I really loved, like the, the impact, the changing people's lives. And I was like, we have to put these things together. That's really interesting. And I, I want to kind of go a little bit deeper here. So what was the money story that, you know, came from the nonprofit side that was it that you either choose to do good in the world or you choose to get paid, right? Like that you work either in a really crappy, low paying job and actually make a difference or you get paid. It was kind of like you have to choose either or, right? Yeah, totally. And there, you know, it's um, the nonprofit industry is, constantly, especially when you work in small community-based organizations, they don't have, they're underfunded. And so it is in the best interest of the nonprofit to really get, and and of that industry to get people to think that, you know, sayings like you don't go in this work for the money, right? Like that's a popular Mm -hmm. saying in like those kinds of fields, like teaching, social work, any kind of human services work. And so you adopt that mantra as a worker and you realize that you're actually in, and oftentimes you're not that far off economically from the people that you're helping. Like it's just a couple paychecks between you, like where you might be and homelessness, you know? And, and, and I don't say that I'm not exaggerating. Like that is like the literal yeah. truth. Yeah. And then you start repeating that story in your head. Like it's, it's okay that I'm not making any money because I'm making a difference. And it's also, you probably start to associate people that make money are greedy or bad. So tell me about that transition when you started to be open up to this world, because I agree. I mean, I think the freelancer economy is bigger now and only going to get bigger in the next five years in a way that we have never seen before, you know, access to the internet and jobs online. And just from, you know, doing data entry, we've all seen this shift with COVID of just being able to work from wherever in a way that we didn't, it didn't exist. 10 years ago, 20 years ago. So I think there's a big opportunity for you to actually, you know, make good money. So I think my question for you is, how did you start making money online? How did you start freelancing? And what was that journey like for you? Yeah, so I want to be clear that um, I, my first, my first business or the first version of my company was not an online company. I was a in-person consultant. So I would go into schools, into nonprofit organizations, and I would teach about um, adolescent development and racial inequity and diversity, equity, and inclusion. I've been doing that work since at least 2008, like going in physically into places. So I was, the, the company was a six-figure business before I started you know, anything online. Um, and then I, what, start, what started to happen was because I was getting the information online because I was participating in, you know, I was listening, like I said, listening to the podcast, participating in masterminds. I learned like the power of um, the internet and that it can really open up your, your reach and that there were people outside of my community that really needed access to the things that I was teaching. Um, and then even, even more specifically, realizing that the skills that I had gained both in my academic journey and also my professional journey around social impact, around diversity, equity, and inclusion, that that was really 
beneficial that and not just beneficial, but was going to be needed in the online space. And so I had been getting it was like this moment where I realized that I was getting really burnt out emotionally, physically from running all around New England because I live in Connecticut, yeah. so like running all around New England, driving to schools and meetings and things like that, you know, being away from my family uh, for extended periods of time and not having the impact that I wanted to have. Because when you do DEI work in a school system, you don't see the transformation. It takes like years to see the kinds of transformation that I now see with my clients in six months. So I, I decided that I needed to step away, that it was like really, a, it started to become an issue of my own mental health. I needed to step away from that work and concentrate on where I could have a, a faster impact. And that happened to be in, in the online space. So working with other coaches, working with other online business owners. And the other reason that I really wanted to do that is because I believe in coaching so much like I believe in the process of like high quality coaching and the transformational impact of that. And I wanted to make it accessible to more people and the way to make it accessible to more people is to teach more people how to do it, how to be high quality, like culturally responsive coaches and to run businesses that really center diversity, equity, and inclusion. So I, you know, I pivoted and made that what I was going to focus on. And I made that decision in like, 2016. And so that's what I've been doing for the most part ever since. There's a couple of really interesting things that I want to point out here. One is just realizing that, okay, how can I personally, as just one woman, because I think sometimes we feel that, right? Like I'm just one person. How much good can I do? Realizing that the way you could have the greatest impact was actually by educating other educators and coaches. And this is a shift that I see a lot of entrepreneurs going from, you know, from, you know, direct to consumer to a B2B model. And I think I just want to applaud you because it doesn't matter. There's not a better or a right or a wrong. We need people to work with individuals one-on-one. That's so important, but it's really cool how you're able to take the years of experience that you've built on everything that you've learned working in schools and turn around and empower people that can't spend a decade learning what you learned how they can implement this and do better and help more people in their business. And something that was really interesting that you're talking about was this mental burnout. And I'd love to go deeper here because I think this is really common. We care so much as socially conscious entrepreneurs who you know want to do good in the world. When you care so deeply, how do we find that balance between fighting so hard for the things that we believe in and making sure that mentally, emotionally, we still have the capacity to keep showing up? Yeah. There's a lot there. <laughs> There's a lot there. For me, the kind of emotional toll it was taking was really, it was really deep. I was being like re-traumatized every time I went into the the schools that I was working in. Um, and that's because I went to schools in an inner city where I was, you know, treated really poorly. And um, I dropped out of school in ninth grade. I dropped out of high school in ninth grade. I was basically, I disappeared from a school system and and it was totally fine because I was a pregnant 15 year old. And um, the the quality of education was really poor. um, And 
you know, there was no, no one came to look for me. There was no truancy officer. Nobody cared. Like it was just really, it was really toxic environment and leaving school was a decision that I made for my own mental health, even at that time. But then going back into to schools as a professional and seeing what was happening to students, it was like a constant reminder of what I had been through. So I did that work for years. I, I worked in schools and nonprofits directly with young people from the time I was like 19 years old um, through you know, until, until I left working full time, you know what I mean? In, in 2016. So I put in a lot of years doing that work and it just got to the point where I could no longer, um, I just couldn't anymore. And it's, it, what's interesting is that now I just had a meeting the other day. Now I'm actually looking to see how our company can get back to those roots and like do some of that, like on our terms, you know what I mean? Like through, through some of our impact initiatives, but I needed, I needed a break. And I think we need to be honest with ourselves, you know, about like what, what our capacity is, where we can make a difference and what we need, you know, like what we need to take care of ourselves. And so that was a hard choice, but I just couldn't, I like could not function. I was like going to work and crying in the parking lot. Like it was just like, it was just bad. Thank you for sharing that story. I just, I want to acknowledge that that is really hard to share the vulnerable parts of you and of your journey. And I'm sure that's something that's not easy to talk about. And I think it's something that is pretty common for us as entrepreneurs to actually choose a path, get into something that we have a personal story around, that we've felt passionate about. Um, And you want to make sure that other people don't have to experience that, right? So it's not okay. It shouldn't happen. It's also the reason why I do the work that I do now, because I had, you know, even though some of these people wouldn't identify as coaches in the way that we talk about coaches, um, I had people when I was, you know, 16, 17, all the way through, you know, through like young adulthood who who were basically coaches. They believed in me. You know, they had a bigger vision for my life than the one that I was able to see in that moment. And that's, that's why I believe that coaching is so important. And that's why I work with coaches. It's not because I just think it's easy. And like, I like to work online. The work I do with coaches is, is really, um, I, I think world changing. Like, I think if more coaches took an approach to their work where they understood the deep impact that they could have in people's lives, it would really change the world. And I don't say that in like this. I don't say that lightly. Like I literally mean it. Um, if we could train more coaches, traditional coaches, and then also co- people who are like in coaching roles. So, you know, maybe like social workers or teachers or people like mentors, people who are in those kind of roles, if they took a coaching approach to their work with other humans, you know, people, CEOs, people who lead other people, if we do our work in a way that's really centered on, equity, we can, I mean, we, it's really life-changing. I love that. I just got chills thinking about that. And I'm sure everyone listening has maybe those people that came up for them, you know, immediately there were mentors, coaches that came up in my mind and that's so important. And a lot of times it's not something that's valued as much as I think it should be for someone to look at you and say, Hey, there's a bigger vision for your life that you can see right now. 
that's powerful. And I'm, I'm sure that changed the course for your life. I've definitely had those moments. So let's talk about how we can do this as coaches, as social workers, as teachers. How can we step up and be better leaders, better coaches? How do we focus on equity? So let's say to someone that's running a business and this is new to them, they don't have any experience in social work or diversity, inclusion. What would you say are the top three things that they can do starting right now to start making an impact? Yeah. So the first thing that I say that everybody needs to do is to commit to an internal process. This equity work, having a a company that is equity centered is not like a check the box kind of thing. There's no like freebie (laughs) opt-in that I can send you (laughs) that you can just like check the box and then you're good. Like it really starts with this internal process around understanding your position in, in the world, um, what power you have, how you use that power, how comfortable you are with that power, what kind of privilege you have, what's your relationship to that privilege, what have you learned, like what biases are you holding on to? And I don't mean to say that as like a negative thing. Everyone has bias. It's just the way that our brains are wired. So confronting what that bias is, understanding how it shows up, and then unlearning, like like unlearning some of those negative patterns that perpetuate unhealthy power dynamics, that perpetuate toxic masculinity, that perpetuate patriarchy and oppression, like confronting those things and replacing them with things that are more focused on equity, focused on liberation, focused on inclusion. Um, So it starts with an internal process. So that is like the very first thing. And you can do that by, um, you know, working with a coach, working with a um, or consultant who are therapists who can like walk you through that kind of process so that you can start understanding just where you sit. Um, The next thing is commitments, like really deciding what you're committed to, what kind of impact you want to have in the communities that you have relationships with. So including your own team members or contractors that you work with, your clients, your audience, your local community where you live, like really starting to understand how you interact with these different spaces and making commitments to like how you want to show up and serve them, right? Like how, what is your, what, what, what can you give? How can you make things better? Because we can't wait until we can't do this thing where it's like, oh, like I'll wait till I hit six figures or seven figures or eight figures or whatever. And then I'll give back. Like we ain't got time for that. We don't, we can't, the world cannot wait for you to like figure out, you know, whatever. There's things that you can do now to have a positive impact on the people around you. And like, you have to figure out what that is and commit to it. And then like at a structural level, like for people who are kind of a little further on their entrepreneurial journeys and do have teams really committing to things like things that change the world and create more liberation. And so the, the, what I'll set up, like the juxtaposition between a leader that is focused on liberation and equity and like more of a traditional CEO is that a CEO, traditional CEO and traditional kind of business practice is to just make decisions that are in your best self-interest and the best self-interest of the company, right? Maximize profit, reduce cost, you know, like serve as many people as possible. And like, okay, I get that. Like, I want to make a lot of money too. I want to live a fabulous life. I have very expensive taste. (laughs) Like I get, I get all of that, but you know, there is, um, there's consequence to, to showing up that way. Um, the, uh, showing up in a way 
that does center more equity liberation, you're thinking about like, what's in the best interest of the business and what's in my best interest to help me get to my goals. But you're not going to make any decisions if what's in the best interest of the company is not in the best interest of an employee or a client. Like you want to find ways to make decisions that are mutually beneficial. And so sometimes that means your profit margin goes from 40% to 35%. Big deal. You know what I mean? Like you'll be fine. You, you create more, like I, I think the moral bottom line of those choices outweigh the financial bottom line. Oh, this is so good. I want to re-listen to everything you just said. Like pause, go back, repeat, re-listen. So good. I'll give you some really practical ways like the, for this looks yeah. like in our business and for what we work with with our clients. That means that we're, we're, we, pre- we have a hiring preference for employees and not contractors. So even, you know, people who don't work, you know, a whole lot of hours, we want to offer paid time off, for example, and sick time. And we want to put people on payroll if, you know, if they are employees, not if they have their own companies and are doing, you know, like their own thing, but we have a preference to hire employees, even though for the size of the company that I run, that may not be something that everybody chooses, but from a value perspective that makes, that is more in alignment with our commitment to equity and liberation, because we want to make sure that like, if I have to let someone go, for for some financial reason or COVID or something that that person um, qualifies for unemployment, for example. It forces us to think about sustainability and like things like sick sick time and minimum wages and things like that. So yeah, it's just a different way of of making choices. It's a difference between do we have a sales team that's only commission-based or do we pay a base salary plus commission? Like it, it puts us in a different kind of inquiry. And it's not that there's one way to make a decision. There's not one right answer for everybody. It's about being an inquiry around what is just and what is in alignment and then making the appropriate choice. I love that so much. It's putting people over profits, exactly knowing what your core values are and sticking to them. And I think something that has been pretty eye-opening to me in my entrepreneurial entrepreneurial journey is just how much of a social responsibility CEOs have, whether they realize it or not. You know, kind of watching everything that's happened where a lot of big companies have been canceled or called out. You know, I'm going to use The Wing as an example. I don't know if you've followed that story, but the female founders of The Wing built a business really quickly with VC funding and wanting to you know, prove that a woman could do it just as fast as a man um, fell into a lot of the same traps that the you know, white male VC world um, was creating in business. And I was recently reading her public apology. And one of the things that she said was, I use the same systems of oppression that my male peers were using, right? Like we had underpaid food service wor- workers. And I was so focused on my goals and proving that I could do it, that I didn't pay attention to what was happening as a result of the bottom line. And I don't want to, I'm, I'm not big on cancel culture. I think we can learn better and do better. But I bring, but thinking about that, you know, when I start, I start a business as a human, I bring in all my internal biases. Um, I'm creating that company culture. And 
um, you know, my partner is a company that she runs and the biases that she brings to the table and the values that, that I bring to the table, that is what drives every single decision we make in the company. And there've been a lot of times this year we've sat down and said, wait, now, wait a minute. Like, yes, this might be what the traditional CEO decision should be, right? The lowest cost, highest profit, but what's best for our people? what's best for us? What's the right thing to do? Like, forget it. What's the right thing to do? One of our core values that we decided as a company at CEO schools, we stand up. Um, and we, we rec- that part of that is recognizing our own biases. And I think that it really stuck out to me when you were talking about it. It's not a checkbox because it's a forever process. I really genuinely thought that it was like a one and done. We're good. You hire, you know, you hire diverse people or not. Yes or no. And that's been really eye-opening for me and realizing that every single room you go into, it is your responsibility to be the loudest one in the room, fighting for what you believe is right. And it really does start with that process of self-discovery. And I love that. So thank you for sharing some of those really practical tips. And I'm curious, as you're coaching or consulting, what are some of the common things that you see just right off the bat, mistakes that are being made that you can help fix? Yeah. So some of the things have to do with like, some of the common things have to do with marketing and sales processes. So looking at how people are talking about their work, making sure that the language that they're using is inclusive um, and and accurate, right? Like that it is really clear about what people are selling and, and you know, who they are prepared to serve. And then that kind of combines with like the programmatic elements of it because you don't want to just say, oh, we're like an inclusive business and we're open to all like black and brown folks and blah, blah, blah. If you actually aren't prepared to hold space for that, So we are like looking at marketing and sales process, but then like at the same time, looking at like the team and starting to understand, does this team have the skill to hold space and facilitate conversations that are um, rooted in equity? Or can they, if somebody says something that's kind of racist or really racist or microaggression, do they have the skill to process that and navigate that and interrupt you know, like interrupt um, racist behavior. We need to make sure that people are prepared to deliver the space that the marketing is saying that they can. So those are some of the things that we look at. We look at policy practices and procedures, um, making sure that it's clear, like you have community agreements and guidelines and that you know what to do if they're not upheld. And that if people are asking questions about things that your customer service team knows how to respond, you know, like it's really a dynamic, um, it's a, it's a whole approach. It's not the one statement, right. That people roll out. I think we saw a lot of that last year, um, you know, at the heels of the murder of George Floyd and then the whole kind of fallout around B school, which was very public and, um, caused a lot of people to move into you know, into action. Um, They, you know, lots of people like made these pledges and like these statements, but if you don't do the work to prepare to uphold it, it's just, it's just words. It's meaningless. Um, So we try to help people make sure that their intent and their values and then their policy practices and procedures are all in alignment so that they so that it, it becomes a way of doing business and not this like extra thing, right? It's not like this mm, diversity yeah. initiative that we like roll out in the corner or this like statement that we make that lives in our website, but like we are fundamentally evolving how we do business. 
And it's weaved into every aspect of that, right? It's not just the marketing process. It's your customer experience. It's your delivery. Yeah. Planning is everything. Yeah. I'm curious your take on this because I feel like one of the things that has been really eye-opening, I've definitely been going through a big process of learning. And before starting CEO school, I didn't have a lot of clients that weren't white and didn't look like me. And I really had a lot of uh, ignorance in learning there. And just thinking that, you know, I, I, I wasn't, I didn't, I wasn't saying actively racist things. And what I've learned this year that you're either racist or you're anti-racist and there's no in-between. And what I found for myself and for our company is that a lot of times it's more about if you say something or if you don't. So it's almost like you can, you know, on your sales page, on your website, if you just don't, if you ignored it, it's almost like that quiet is the problem. Um, And not having the statements weaved through your sales and marketing process, not saying anything is actually what makes people afraid. It's not a safe space. Um... I would say that that could be the case. It really depends. Like business to business, it really depends. I think that if if people are on an active anti-racist journey and really prioritizing this in their business, then there should be there should be st- something to indicate that. But it doesn't necessarily have to look like a full fledged like here's our anti-racist statement. There are other ways to do it. And so it really depends on like what you feel called to do, what's most appropriate for your audience, what's most appropriate for your business. Um, you want your all of your copy, obviously, to be values aligned and inclusive um, and explicitly inclusive. Like you really want to be clear about who you yeah. serve and what you stand for, for sure. But it's not about like having like the one page. Yeah, no, I hear that. And I think the one page, it's the, it's easy, it's important. I think you should do it, but it's also, it's not the ongoing work. And my short experience, I feel like this, I'd like to hear more about the explicit statements, like explicitly saying LGBTQ members are welcome here. It's explicitly saying, you know, we respect black and brown women and we want to have equal outcomes. It's explicitly saying that. So can you give us some examples of ways, for example, a lot of my friends are dietitians or past clients in nutrition and wellness and wellness is very, very white. There's not a lot of black, brown, women of color in the profession in general. And food is a big problem in food deserts. And there's a massive disconnect there. And so I've heard from a lot of them, you know, I want to help build a more inclusive business. I want to serve this community. Can you maybe speak to what some of the disconnects are? What are some of those explicit things that as a business owner, we can do to, you know, from the first step, welcome in women that aren't necessarily buying right now. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think that I think that we need to be more inc- inclusivity isn't just about like racial inclusivity, right? Like we need to shift the way that we're thinking about the problem. So the problem in in the scenario you just framed, right? It's the problem isn't only that there is um, not a lot of black and brown folks or that there's a disproportionate amount of black and brown folks who are in the industry. The fact is there is a tremendous amount of black and brown folks who work in in industries that are connected to that field, right? Like, so it doesn't have to just be dietitians, like certified dietitians. There's all kinds of people who are alternative, like deal with food and alternative health, plant-based diets, food justice. Like you need to open up the way that you think about your work mm. and all of the ways yeah. that like, and all of the things that intersect with that work. And then you find like, oh, this is actually way more diverse than than I was thinking about it. You have to change the way that you're looking at the problem. 
I love that perspective. And I think it's something that a lot of times we get so focused on our one industry or one job and we're only collaborating with or working with people that have jobs like ours, that look like us, that have shared experiences as us, that we forget that there's a big community. I know this is something my husband's in medicine. He talks a lot about, um, you know, a lot of times it's looked at like the doctor hierarchy, but the reality is you have this whole care team. Uh, and really making sure that you're taking a holistic approach. So I guess kind of my answer to my own question, the first step would be to step outside of yourself and realize, hold on, there's a lot more people in this community. Am I including them? Um, and being an active member of this conversation, right? What you may find is that you're, you're focusing on something that's so narrow and that, that that actually is the problem because part of the reason that there aren't more black and brown folks in that industry is because there are barriers to entry, right? Like you have to have right. all this schooling, you have to like get this mm-hmm. license. Like, so that inherently creates Expensive. barriers, right. right? So like you have yeah. to look beyond, you have to like be understanding those systemic things and understanding why people are not, um, you know, why, why it seems to be not diverse, but the fact is there's a lot of people who are addressing the very same issues and asking the questions like, how can I be more inclusive to them? Leads you to new answers. So it's like fundamentally asking the wrong questions, right? And I think, I hope it's okay. I'm going to be a little bold here. I've had a lot of white entrepreneur friends say things like, you know, why are black people not buying from us? I'm doing everything I can. But I think what I found in my journey and I'm continuing to find, and I know it's a long way to go, but is it's looking at it the wrong way and you're not even asking the right questions. Let me just say my answer to that question, or it's not really an answer, but the question that I prompt people to ask is how did you build a business that only white people come to? Oh, oh, go on. Keep going. (laughs) well like you created it right like you built it yeah so like the question shouldn't be like why aren't these people not coming the question is like you created a whole marketing plan to target your target audience and that's who's showing up so like how'd that happen and that I mean and that takes us back to that very first thing I said around like the internal process of like what biases do you have? How are you showing up in the world? Like that's, yeah. that's the, the answer. That's how you did it. But it's not until you confront those things that you'll start to see the change. I just want to like, I'm over here, slow clap. I was, I was nervous to ask that question in my own white fragility, you know, being afraid to have conversations and tiptoeing around these conversations. And I think that's something, if you're listening to this podcast episode and you're thinking, I don't have biases, I'm not racist, I'm not, I don't have internalized misogyny. Like, I'm just going to tell you, we absolutely, we all do. It's a society that we've been raised in. And unless you're you have the humility to say, okay, hold on a second. This is not everyone else's problem. Like I am part of the problem and I want to see change. Yeah. It's also, it's also not just like the society that you're, you're raised in. It's, it's how your brain is wired. Right. So, so I am a, um, I I have a master's degree in psychology. I've completed all of my coursework for my PhD in psychology. I will get around to writing my dissertation hopefully this year, Um, but I've been a little busy. I believe in you. Um, yes, we'll get it done. But right, like our our brains are wired in such a way that like we bias is useful in some ways. It's these are the things that like keep us safe. Like th- these are part of um, very old, you know, very old wiring that we have that uh, that required us to put things into categories. I can eat this and it won't kill me. You know what I mean? Like, I can't eat that because yeah. it, it because it will. Like, our brains are wired in such a way to create categories, to have preferences. So it's not a bad thing that you have bias. What is 
harmful is when you have bias that you're not acknowledging and that you're and when you're not recognizing that the certain biases that you have that they the, the ones that are incorrect like that are, that are that are causing you to be misaligned with how you want to show up in the world that you change them and they can be changed it takes time and effort and a process but we can change our biases so to say to you know that nobody should feel like it says anything about them to acknowledge like I have bias. everybody has bias like you can't even be a human yeah. <laughs> without it you can't even be a human without it. Yeah. I mean, we're all flawed and trying to become better people, but also like you're not a horrible human. I think just the very nature that you're listening to this conversation that you want to do better, that is, like you said, that's the first step is having these internal conversations. Okay. This is phenomenal. Everybody should work with you. I'm really excited. This has been a phenomenal conversation. Tell us more about what your work as a coach and really help people have a good understanding of how this could help their business. Can you tell us more really what is it that you do and how you work with clients? And I know you have a big event coming up. We're all excited to go back to events when the time is right. So tell us about all the exciting things you've got going on and how we can get involved. Yeah. So we, um, the, the way that we work with people, we work with people in groups and we have a membership and we also work occasionally one-on-one with bigger companies. And the, the goal is really to help companies and like become better leaders, become more aligned with their values and become equity centered. That's what, that's what we call it. Equity centered practice. And it's important because (laughs) first of all, it's important just morally, right? Like we need to be doing better, right? Like we just need to be doing better. So the folks that we work with, the outcomes they see is that their, their teams become more diverse. Their audiences become more diverse. The retention in their program, like in their programs increases because you're attracting the like better quality, more values aligned clients and team members. So even team retention goes up. You're just like more effective overall. I hate to, I hate that I have to make this argument, but it's important because it's a fact. People over time, people see their revenue increase, of course, because they're, they have a healthier business. Like this is, this is an issue of like business sustainability, you know, over the long term. Yeah, it gives you longevity and it makes it a more fun, safe place to work. I mean, I want to wake up every day and enjoy my job and your customers want to enjoy their customer experience, right? Like it's not just about not getting canceled. Yeah, no, there are real there are real financial gains to be made when you have a healthy culture, when you have a diverse, inclusive, equitable community, um, your impact becomes more dynamic. So one of the things that we do with our with the teams that we work with, especially at the one-on-one level is really help them to start to measure the actual impact they're making in the world, not just with their clients, but like, what is the change that you can actually make and how do you report about that? And how do you become accountable to those things? Oh, I love that. Yeah. So I'm a data nerd. <laughs> like I, I, I mean, yes. yeah, I get really into this stuff. So yeah, so there's a lot of stuff that, that we help people do. And it's all about like improving the company overall. Right. Um, yeah. For coaches and some, and like solo entrepreneurs, what we do is we help them improve their, their coaching practice. Like how do you become a more effective, higher quality coach that, that has a diverse practice that you can navigate these uncomfortable conversations that you can hold space for diversity and really be inclusive in your coaching practice and also your program and curriculum design. 
Um, so that's uh, those are some of the things that we work with with people who have smaller, you know, smaller practices and solo practices. A lot of people get started in our membership, which is called the Equity Centered Coaching Collective. And we publish a monthly learning journey in there. And people kind of go through that learning journey. We host a Q&A call. I go in and do a live stream to do some training. And it's just a good like starting place for people who are like um, new to the work or for people who have been around, who have been doing the work for a while, but want like an ongoing practice. And I talk about this work as a practice a lot because it's not this fixed place that you just get to, but it's something that you incorporate and just get better and better and better over time. And that you stay connected to the conversation because the fact is, is that like things change and evolve and different, um, you know, like we learn different things and um, culture shifts. And so people want to be connected to like, what's the, what's the new language? How can we be better? How can we be more inclusive? And that's an ongoing process. So we do that kind of work in our collective I love your focus on it being ongoing. We talked about this with leadership. It's not a course you take or get a certificate, although it can look like that to start. It's every single day. It's asking yourself, like, am I showing up as the best leader I can be? Absolutely. I think this is the same with our, you know, your core company values. I'm going to use this as an example. A lot of times companies, and I've been guilty of this in the past, you read out, you know, you put it on your website, you post it on a page in your employee handbook, and then you're done with it. And if you're not every single week shouting out your team members for embodying those core company cultures, if you're not asking yourself, am I embodying this value in this practice? Is this decision we're making coming back to our core values? And in alignment, it isn't constant. You know, leadership is a constant check-in with yourself. And so I love that it's a monthly membership and it gives you that time and energy to really sit down and realign, refocus, reset. Uh, you know, can think of it like a personal trainer or uh, working out. If you don't continue to focus on it, uh, it's not going to be a priority and you'll be able to tell that way. So where can we find you? Um, tell us more about your Instagram, social media, your website. Where can we learn more about the membership? Yeah, so people can go to the website and learn more about the membership. My website is just trudylebron.com and you're just going to look for the collective. Um, it'll be, it'll be prominently displayed. It'll be easy to find. And, uh, I will also say, you know, later this year we are having, you know, in the early, early summer, um, is it summer? When does summer actually start? So at the end of May, at the end of May, we are having our, um, an event called show up and serve 2021. And so maybe some people have attended cause we've had thousands of people take the workshop and hundreds of people show up live last year to the, to the workshop that we held. It was called show up and serve. And, um, that event, we had 600 people on that call live and like probably about 3000 people take that workshop, um, over the course of last year. And that was really an introduction to diversity, equity, and inclusion in the coaching world for many, many people. Um, and so this year we're kind of having a, we're going to make this an, an annual event is our goal. And so we'll be hosting it again this year as a two day event. And we are going to be doing kind of an update on where the industry is around this work overall and doing a little bit more teaching around these concepts of liberatory leadership and culturally responsive coaching and being equity centered. So that is coming and yeah, we'll be sharing all of that information on our socials and on our website, you know, actually in the next couple of weeks, we'll be opening up invitations to that. 
Amazing. Okay. Check out trudylebron.com. Look for the collective. I already am very excited to save my seat. Before we wrap up, is there any last piece of advice that maybe you could give to your younger self or a new entrepreneur just starting this journey? If you could tell her one thing, what would it be? Yeah. The, the thing that pops right into mind when you're saying that is a reminder to everyone that change is a long game. <laughs> that we are playing a long game and that business, social impact business and businesses that really create a big difference in the world is a long-term commitment. And so we have, sometimes we're maybe sacrificing short-term gains, but just know that the, the, it's all about the bigger picture and to stay focused on that and keep, you know, just keep in action every day. I couldn't agree more. It's always playing the long game. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Trudy, you guys go check out her website. And hang out with me on Instagram for sure. Yeah. At Trudy Lebrun, Trudy with an I. Okay, we'll link that below. This was a really enlightening episode. I want to thank you for your time. I'm so confident it's helped so many business owners. I would really encourage you to take the next step by joining Trudy's membership and making this an ongoing practice in your business. So thank you so much for coming on the show. You're so welcome. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. We want to invite you to follow CEO School on Instagram for show notes, inspiration, and exclusive behind the scenes you won't find anywhere else. We also have an absolutely incredible free resource for you. It's the seven lessons we learned building seven and eight figure businesses. These are complete game changers and we want to give it to you completely free. All you have to do is leave a review of the podcast, why you love listening, screenshot the review and email it to hello at ceoschoolpodcast.com and we'll send it your way. See you in the next class.